From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, TVT at three. During this decade period of time where the number of trabeculectomies have been steadily declining, actually the number of tube shunts that have been placed, at least here in the United States, has almost tripled. First this. As seen from here reaches ophthalmologists in 98 countries, transfers more than half a terabit of podcasts every month, but the potential audience is much larger. Please tell your colleagues about this free resource, Flattening the Ophthalmic World. And while you're at it, let your residents and fellows know about Open Ophthalmology, a free basic science video podcast, already a force in ophthalmic education with 1,800 viewers watching 6,000 video lectures every month. Information wants to be free. Help me give it away. Who would doubt that trabeculectomy is the right course of action for a pseudophagic patient whose glaucoma has been recalcitrant to more conservative therapy? Who? Steve Getty. Those of you who are regular listeners to a scene from here know Dr. Getty from our conversations about the tube versus trabeculectomy study, the TVT study. Dr. Getty has just published three-year results, and I had the pleasure of speaking with him about it. There's a great deal of material to cover, so I've split the interview into two podcasts. We'll hear part one today. Steve Getty, welcome back to A Scene From Here. Steve, can I get you to give me some context to the TVT study? It's a very interesting time for glaucoma surgery because there's this proliferation of new glaucoma procedures like canaloplasty and the trabectome and glaucos implant, canaloplasty. There's there's a a variety of new procedures, um, many of which are FDA approved, others that aren't available yet in the United States, but available worldwide. But still, trabeculectomy and tube shunt surgery remains the most commonly performed operations in glaucoma as it was um, a decade ago around the time that the TVT study was devised and and actually um, was started. It's interesting when you look at surgical trends over the last decade or so that the popularity of trabeculectomy has been steadily declining. And I think that has been a result of a growing recognition of some of the complications, late complications associated with trabeculectomy, blood-related complications like infections and leaks and dysesthesia. And I think tube shunts have been the major alternative surgical approach that's been used to trabeculectomy. I think it's still true. And it's interesting if you look at surgical trends, you know, based on Medicare data, that, again, during this decade period of time, where the number of trabeculectomies have been steadily declining, actually the number of tube shunts that have been placed, at least here in the United States, has almost tripled. So I think that's related to, again, concerns about trabeculectomy, but also a growing experience with tube shunt surgery and um, making it an appealing alternative procedure. And I think it's you know gotten to the point... Um, 
that the indications for using tube shunts have been expanding beyond just the most refractory type glaucomas, neovascular glaucoma, the eyes that have had multiple, multiple surgeries. And there are certain populations where I think it's it's unclear to a lot of glaucoma surgeons, at least it's unclear to me, what's the best surgical approach. And, And in particular, patients that have had prior cataract surgery only or have had a failed filtering operation or a combination of both, there's debate among glaucoma surgeons about what is the best um, glaucoma surgical procedure to manage those patients. And that's actually the population that that was studied in the TVT study to try to give surgeons a little bit more guidance um, when trying to select the best surgical procedures for many of our patients. Steve, what question did the TVT study seek to answer, and what's the design of this study? Sure. Well, the, the purpose of the TVT study was really to compare the safety and efficacy of tube shunt surgery using a beer belt implant to uh, trabeculectomy with mitomycin C in patients that had 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 previous ocular surgery. And in order to be eligible for the study, patients had to be between the ages of 18 and 85 years, have medically uncontrolled glaucoma with pressures in the 18 to 40 range, and had previous cataract extraction with intraocular lens implantation or a failed trabeculectomy or a combination of both. And there were, there were actually multiple exclusion criteria, multiple exclusion criteria, actually. Um, I think some of the more important ones, uh, there were several secondary glaucomas that were excluded, like neovascular glaucoma, uveitic glaucoma. These are uh, types of glaucoma, I think, that are particularly high risk for failure. And I think investigators in the study, when, when the protocol was being designed, felt that really tube shunts were a better operation, and they felt uncomfortable, as I, as I do, really randomizing half of those patients to receive a trabeculectomy. Um, we excluded patients that had um, that were dependent on contact lens wearing, wouldn't discontinue contact lenses again because of the concern about um, if they were randomized to, to a trabeculectomy, the increased risk of, of blood infections in that population. Um, patients that had significant conjunctival scarring where the surgeon felt that you couldn't actually uh, dissect a conjunctival flap and, and, um, uh, and have any good success with a trabeculectomy, those patients were excluded. And we also excluded patients that had a need for glaucoma surgery combined with their, probably need for other surgery combined with their glaucoma surgery. So if somebody needed a cataract extraction or a vitrectomy or penetrating keratoplasty at the same time of their glaucoma surgery. It was anticipated they were going to have that in their near future. Those patients were all ineligible. Now, patients that met those inclusion and exclusion criteria were enrolled and randomly assigned to either uh, a tube shunt group or a trabeculectomy group. And, And patients in the tube group underwent placement of a 350 bare valve glaucoma implant supertemporally with a complete restriction of flow at the time of surgical implantation. Patients in the trabeculectomy group underwent a superior trabeculectomy with a standard dosage of mitomycin C of 0.4 milligrams per milliliter uh, for four minutes. And um, 
then patients were were followed and data were collected at uh, uh, predetermined post-operative time intervals, including a day, a week, a month, three months, six months, one year, 18 months, and then uh, two years, three years, four years, and and five years. And so the study um, is planned to be five years in duration. And as you know, we just published our three-year results. When even before we started looking at the data, we prospectively developed some success and failure criteria, and, and we we patterned them after what's been used in other glaucoma surgical trials, um, and even in many of the retrospective uh, studies of of different glaucoma surgical procedures. So we defined failure as having a pressure above. 21 or not reduced by 20% below the baseline or preoperative level on two consecutive visits after three months. We weren't really interested in in highs and low pressures in the early postoperative period, which are really expected with both these procedures, but we were more interested in in kind of later postoperative pressure control. Another failure criteria was a hypotenuse failure, and, and so if patients had pressure less than or equal to five on two consecutive visits after three months, they were classified as failures if they needed additional glaucoma surgery or if they lost light perception vision. If a patient didn't meet one of those failure criteria, they were considered successes, and we subdivided them into complete successes if they weren't on any supplemental medical therapy, and they were qualified successes if they were are on any adjunctive medical therapy. Um, We had 17 clinical centers and 32 investigators that participated in the study. These were mostly academic institutions scattered across the United States, as well as Moorfields Hospital in London. And the study had some organization, had a safety and data monitoring committee, a steering committee, and a a statistical uh, coordinating center. Um, So that's a little bit about kind of the design design of the study, Josh. What were your findings regarding pressure reduction and the number of post-treatment glaucoma medications? Well, Josh, what we found was the trabeculectomy group actually had significantly greater pressure reduction compared with the tube group during the first three months postoperatively. But after that time, there was no significant difference in pressure levels uh, between the two groups. The um, preoperative level of pressure was about 25 millimeters mercury in both uh, groups, and the mean pressure at at three years was about 13 millimeters of mercury. So there was a substantial pressure reduction in, in both groups throughout the first three years of the study. Uh, regarding adjunctive medical therapy, there was significantly greater use of adjunctive medical therapy in the tube group during the first two years of the study, but at three years, there was no uh, significant difference between the two treatment groups. Preoperatively, patients were on an average of about three medications in both groups, and at three years, patients were on average on about one medication in, in both groups. Steve, you censored, you excluded data from patients who required further surgery, but you also did an intent-to-treat analysis. Let me get you to describe what intent-to-treat is 
and whether those data were any different from the data that you just presented. Josh, you've certainly read the paper closely and uh, and and carefully, so um, that's an insightful question. So you're exactly right. We presented the data in both ways. One was censoring those patients that had reoperations for glaucoma, and, and um, I think in many ways it, it makes sense to exclude a patient if they had a reoperation for glaucoma. So, for example, if somebody was randomized to the trabeculectomy group and subsequently failed because they needed a reoperation and had a Beerveld implant, you, in many ways it may be appropriate to eliminate them from data analysis after they've had their reoperation for, for glaucoma. So the data were presented in that way. But they also, we also presented, presented it in this, what's called an intent-to-treat analysis. And really what that means is you're interested in what happened to the patient irrespective of what treatment they received since the time of the randomization. So at three years, how do patients do simply based on what randomization category they were? So it takes into account all medical and surgical treatment that they received, including reoperations for glaucoma. And, and actually, there's not much of a difference. Um, really, uh, the data is almost identical whether you present the data censoring the patients um, that had glaucoma reoperations or using that intent-to-treat analysis. So the, the differences that I just described in, in adjunctive medical therapy use and, and levels of intraocular pressure were really not different at a year and three years uh, using both analyses. Steve, what constituted failure, and were the failure rates different between the two groups? Yeah, again, we had um, a few different uh, criteria by which a patient could fail. Um, they could fail um, because of inadequate uh, pressure reduction namely if their pressure was not below 21 or if it wasn't reduced by 20% below baseline on two consecutive visits after three months. That was failure because of you know, inadequate pressure reduction. They could also uh, fail because of hypotony having you know, persistently too low pressure, namely if their pressure was less than or equal to five on two consecutive visits after three months. Also, if they needed a reoperation for glaucoma, or um, if they lost light perception vision. And um, using those criteria and, um, and using Kaplan-Meier survival analysis, the cumulative probability of failure at uh, three years was 15.1% in the tube group and about double that, 30.7% uh, in the trabeculectomy group. And that was a difference that was highly statistically significant. This is a two-part question. How did reoperation rates compare between the tube and trabeculectomy group? And, and this is a little more complicated. To what extent do you think that surgeon bias played a role? And specifically what I mean by surgeon bias is perhaps a, a particular ophthalmologist may feel more apprehensive about uh, intervening surgically in a patient who's had a tube or who's had a trab or may feel um, or may have a lower threshold uh, to intervene surgically with one of these two groups, and this would, of course, introduce a, a bias. 
really a great, great question, Josh. So um, it's kind of a two-part question. First of all, the um, the there were uh, six patients in the tube group and 12 in the trabeculectomy group that actually had reoperations uh, for glaucoma during the first three years of the study. Um, so I think that reoperation rate is, you know, uh, roughly 6% and 12%. The difference was almost statistically significant. I think the p-value was about 0.09 or so. So uh, it's approach level of statistical significance. So there was a definite trend towards tri- the trabeculectomy group requiring uh, more reoperations, but did not quite reach the level of statistical significance. By the way, the majority of patients in the trabeculectomy group that had glaucoma reoperations had placement of a uh, a Beervelt implant. I think uh, 10 out of the 12 had a, a Beervelt. Um, one actually had a, a transcoral cyclophotocoagulation. One actually had a trabeculectomy with my trabeculectomy with five of you, and one had a blood revision and a Beervelt implant at the same time. You may notice that total is a great. That's 13 reoperations, but that occurred in 12 patients. So one one patient in the trabeculectomy group actually had two reoperations for glaucoma. In in the tube group, uh, about half the patients had a placement of a second Beervelt implant, and the other half had a, a trans scoral cyclophotocoagulation. Actually, one patient in the tube group actually had two reoperations for glaucoma. One was a endocyclophotocoagulation, and the other was a was a transcoral cyclophotocoagulation. But so the but the second part of your question is a is a, an important one, Josh, and that is um, realizing that the surgeon, the investigator in the study made the decision about whether an individual patient required a reoperation. There was nothing in the protocol that indicated when a, a glaucoma reoperation was needed or not. It was, again, left to the discretion of the investigator. And that meant there was a, actually a potential bias in, in reoperation for glaucoma because in a patient that has failed a trabeculectomy, the decision about what to do with the reoperation is, is um, I think it's a little bit easier. Uh, generally, uh, it certainly was the case in our study, it's, it usually involves placement of, of um, glaucoma drainage device. However, if somebody's already failed glaucoma drainage device surgery, the decision or um, the, the next surgical intervention can be a little bit more complex. It usually involves placement of a second drainage implant or a psychodestructive procedure. Again, that was at least the case in our study. So so one might wonder whether the investigators might have a higher threshold to reoperate on a patient um, if they failed in the tube shunt group as opposed to the trabeculectomy group. And we actually explored for that. And the way we looked at it, Josh, was first of all to look at the pressure levels and the the um, total number of glaucoma medications that patients were on immediate prior prior to their glaucoma reoperations. And 
and indeed there was no significant difference. So, in other words, the level of pressure just prior to reoperations in patients that failed in the trabeculectomy group and had reoperations was not significantly different than than patients that were undergoing repeat glaucoma surgery in the tube group. Moreover, Josh, there were some patients that failed because of inadequate pressure reduction but didn't undergo a repeat glaucoma operation. In other words, we had our, our failure criteria for inadequate pressure control, and they, they failed based on that criteria, but they didn't make a, a, a repeat treat, trip to the operating room for more glaucoma surgery. And we actually looked at that subgroup of patients and said, hey, how about these patients that have higher than, let's say, desirable pressure according to our success and failure criteria but didn't end up uh, with a repeat trip to the operating room? Was there any difference between them? And indeed, there was no significant difference in those patients' level of pressure and use of adjunctive therapy. So I think this is really good evidence to suggest there wasn't a reoperation bias on the part of investigators. So similar types of patients were ending up back in the operating room in both the tube group and the trabeculectomy group. I'm going to end part one here. We'll pick things up where Dr. Getty left off next time. Steve Getty is professor of ophthalmology and residency program director at the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine in Miami, Florida. His paper, Three-Year Follow-Up of the Tube versus Trabeculectomy Study, appears in the August 2009 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Getty or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your comments or questions at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.